0: our study in the book of Acts, we really are in a study of the church. And so make no mistake, we are really in this detailed study of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing. We're moving to the book of Acts, but it really is a in-depth study of the church of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that is a good thing. That is a needed, necessary thing. In fact, I believe nothing could be better than for the church to function as the church. I believe nothing could be better for us. I believe nothing would be better for our homes. Nothing would be better for the town that we're living in. Nothing would be better for the world than for the church of Jesus Christ to actually function as the church. I believe that would be the best thing. Well, today, thinking about the church, I wonder this morning, what is necessary To have an awesome church. Now, when I say awesome church, I I truly mean an awesome church. Not just a bunch of overdone words. We we say the word awesome today a whole bunch. Not just a bunch of hype, but for us to truly see an awe-inspiring, awesome church. Now, let me tell you this morning, when I hear that subject, my ears perk up. When I hear that subject, I get excited because that is what is possible. And as we sit here this morning, that is the potential that we hold today. And I, and I yearn for, I get excited about belonging to, being a part of a truly awesome church. Well, here's the question again. So what is necessary to have an awesome church? If that's what we want to belong to, if that's where we, we want to worship and we want to serve for the glory of our Savior, what is necessary to have an awesome church? Our message today is entitled, The Secret Ingredient of an Awesome Church. The Secret Ingredient of an Awesome Church. We're in Acts chapter 2 today, verses 40 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses forty. Through 47. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning here in verse 40, God's word says this And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for a Savior, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the forgiveness of my sin through the cross, the finished work of my Savior, Jesus. I'm so thankful for your word that you lead us through it and you direct us through it. You speak through your word. I'm so thankful for the church that you bless us with it and you bless us through it and then you use us to lead others to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that today as, as we come in worship of our Savior, as we come as the church, that you would instruct us. I pray that this would be a supernatural event. I pray as we're, as we're sitting here, as we're, as we're now listening and studying and thinking about your word, I pray that you would truly speak. It would not be some token event, wouldn't be a lecture, wouldn't be the, the passing on of information, but the living God would speak through his word. Lord, bless us. Grace us with your speech through your word. Lord, I pray that if there's any here in this room, any here that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would stir in their heart. I pray that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, move, work, be glorified in all that we do as your church today. We love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What is necessary to have a truly awesome church? What is the secret? Is there a secret? What is necessary to have a truly awesome church? In our verses today, Peter has preached his sermon, actually the first sermon in or to the Christian church, and there has been a response. In, in verse 40, it tells us that after the sermon, in response to their, to their response, That with many other words, he solemnly, that means seriously, he seriously, he solemnly testified, the Bible says, exhorting them. Remember from last week, that means inviting them, invoking them to be saved by repenting and turning to Jesus. Very simply, Peter calls them to Christ. Peter calls them to salvation by turning to Jesus Christ. Now, right off the bat, let me say this this morning. When the church quits being serious about calling people to Jesus Christ, they are seriously failing as the church. And that's the starting place today. You know what? We can do a lot of things. We can undertake a lot of things. But when the church quits being serious about calling people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then the church is seriously failing as the church. When we quit calling people to Jesus, listen, we might as well take up something else. We might as well go do something else. He is invoking them, calling them, inviting them to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now let's look at this verse, verse 41. So then, as a result, so then, those who had received his word. Now notice that it was that they had received it. It is past tense. They have done it. It is completed. They have received his word. Now receive means embraced or accepted. And so they have embraced, they have accepted his word. Bible goes on in that verse and says having had accepted his word They were baptized. Now, once again, I want you to see this. It is faith first and then baptism. We've talked about this. We're not saved by baptism. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The testimony of Scripture is we're saved by faith. Well, having received the word, having believed in faith, then they are baptized. And then the verse continues. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. I love that. In, preaching, in the preaching of the gospel, in the receiving of the gospel, it says there were added about 3,000 souls. I want you to think about that for a second. It's talking about souls, Not not places on a membership sheet, not folks that came and sat in our pews, but souls. There were added 3,000 souls. Listen to me this morning. Souls are at stake. It is eternal souls that are saved, souls that are ransomed. There is an eternal impact to the function of the church, and souls were added to the church. I want you to see something else there. It says, we're added. It translates, were joined to, were joined to. They were added to the church. They were joined to the church. Now see this, get this. We're gonna build on this as we move through these verses today. When you are saved, it is an individual decision. Be sure of that. No one can make it for you. No one can do it for you later after the fact, When you are saved, it is an individual decision. You do that, not your spouse. They can't do it for you, not your grandmother, not her good intentions. She can't do it for you. You are saved by an individual decision. And when you are saved, that individual decision joined you to a community. Do you see the progression of that? You make an individual decision. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, but that individual decision joins you to a community. When you are saved, listen to me today, you are joined to the church of Jesus Christ. When you are saved, you are placed as a part of the church. It is false, and this this is kind of popular today, but I'll just tell you, it is a falsehood, to think that you can be saved, to think that you can be living in God's will to think that you could be growing and flourishing in the, in the will and in the, in the steps of walking with Christ apart from the church of Jesus Christ. Folks say, you know what, I don't need the church. I got hurt in the church. I'm doing fine without the church. Listen, it is a falsehood to think you can walk in the will of a saving Savior to grow in the knowledge and to flourish as a believer apart from the church. When you got saved, he joined you to the church. I've been saying some hard things the last few weeks, so I'm going to say one more this morning. I believe if you have no desire to be part of the church, if you have no love for the church, Listen, if it's not in you, if you have no love for the church, if you are absent of a commitment to the church, if you're not joined to the church, listen, brother, it may be an indication that you don't know the head of the church, Jesus. We tiptoe around that. We don't want to offend people. They might not come back. They might be upset. Listen, if you have no love for the church and the things of the church and the people of the church and the Savior of that church, if you have no commitment to the church of Jesus Christ, it is very well possible you don't know the Savior of that church, Jesus. Do you see the hugeness of what's happening here and listen, these aren't my words. This is what's happening as the church forms. Do you see the hugeness? No, listen to me. You're not saved by church membership, but when you're saved, you're joined to the church. I was thinking about this. Let me give you a couple examples. The Bible calls Jesus the head of the church. He's the head of the church. We're the body of the church. Bible explains that very clearly. What if if there were a man and he he were to say to his wife, baby, I love your head. I love your face. I love it. I I can't wait to get home in the afternoon to see your face. I love your face. Can't say much about your body. (laughs) Bible calls Jesus the groom, calls the church the bride. That's what the Bible says. I want to tell you, you find any man of any count and you find that man, you say, you know what, I sure like you and I like hanging out with you and you're a pretty good guy and you're a guy of character and if I can see you tomorrow, you know what, we'll go hang out tomorrow. I sure like you, but I have no use for your bride if you meet a man of any count. You know what, you're about to get knocked on the nose. Can you imagine telling our Savior I love you, I love you, but you know what? I have no use for your body. I have no use for your bride. Listen, when you got saved, you were joined to the church of Jesus Christ. That is what's happening here in the book of Acts. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now they are saved, they are joined to the church, Well, here's what happens. This is the natural progression. This is is what it looks like as they're joined to the church. It says they were continually devoting themselves, continually devoting themselves. That's what a saved person was doing. Continually devoting translates steadfastly continuing, persisting in, persevering in. What it is a picture of, it is the process of staying with. Sometimes we have a problem staying hitched or staying hooked. This is the process of staying with. It is persevering in. It is steadfastly continuing in. They were continually devoting. The next word is themselves. Now, I think this is important, but you know what? That means it was a self-motivation. They were devoting themselves. It was a a self-motivation. This is what we do as believers. This is what we do as the church. Now, they were steadily, they were continually devoting themselves to four things. Here they are. First is this, to the apostles' teaching. It means they were devoting themselves, listen to this, to revealed truth. The church doesn't just teach Things. The church doesn't teach good things and and goals and and things that make you personally better. The church teaches revealed truth. It's talking about the Word of God as revealed through the Apostles. The the, the Word of the Apostles, the, the Apostles' teachings become our New Testament. And so they were continually, steadfastly staying with the teaching of the Word of God. Be sure today, in the church, we are devoted to, we are steadfastly staying with the teaching of the Word of God. It is the Word of God that prepares us. It is the Word of God that instructs us. It is the Word of God that equips us. And it's who we are as believers. We stay steadfastly with the word of God. I guess I'm big on examples today, but here's another example. Here's a big old person. They used to tell me, you're not, you're not fat, you're just big boned. I think I was probably just fat. Here's this big person, and they've been, they've been eating well for 10 years. Steaks and hot rolls and tacos and, and, and mashed potatoes, and they've been, eating, they've been eating well for 10 years. And then the last six months, they just they stood just in gear. They really got with it the last six months. Everything they could get a hold of, cakes and pies and chocolate malts, they have been eaten. And they're a big person. But I, I want you to think about this example, this person. I don't know anybody like that. But take that person and say, you know what, for the next two months, you're going to eat once a week. You got a lot of things going on in your life. This is one of the things we have to, we're going to have to taper down on. And for the next two months, you're going to eat once a week. And you know what? That got to be so easy. You got to be in such a routine that for the next three months of that, you're going to eat once every three weeks. 21st day. I think you can live 21 days without food. I wouldn't try it. 21st day, you're gonna eat. The next three months, you're eating once a week, then you're eating for the next three months every three weeks. Well, you know what? The last month happens to be in the summer and there's things going on at the lake and the kids have a lot of games and so you're not gonna eat for the summer. What do you think you would be? It wouldn't be thin, it'd be dead. You'd be dead. Well, listen, the church... And the excitement and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the excitement of their Savior and the knowledge of a risen, resurrected Savior, they are devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Oh, that God would speak and He's speaking through His word and that we would be instructed. And they come back and they come back and they come back and they're devoted steadfastly to the apostles' teaching. Next thing it says, they're devoted continually, steadfastly, to fellowship. This is kind of an interesting thing. The word is koinonia. It, it means a close relationship. It is a partnership. Kind of an odd thing to understand for us, us today maybe, but it is, it is this true fellowship. It's not just passing, and it's not just saying, how, how are you doing? It is a partnership. It is a, a community, a close relationship. With these other believers that they are now joined to, the Bible says they stayed in close fellowship. They continually devoted themselves to close fellowship and they didn't wander off from the close fellowship. Friends, I don't know if you've realized it, but as believers, this world hates us. Have you you noticed that? This world hates us. This world hates our truth. This world hates the Word of God. It hates the word of God. It hates the message that we preach. It hates the gospel that we're saved by. It hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. It hates our Savior. This world hates Jesus Christ. And because of all that, this world hates us. But listen to me this morning. God in his grace knows that you're gonna be hated out there, knows that you're gonna have persecution out there. And so in his tremendous grace, he says, I'll join you together with some folks in a common bond of a love for us savior you will love each other they're devoted to fellowship they stay in fellowship let me tell you something the saddest thing is when the church is rougher than the world we live in most terrible thing is when the church is tougher and hard to get along in than the world that we live in listen look around today these are our brothers and sisters in Christ these are our people They stayed together in fellowship. Next thing that it gives in the list, they were steadfastly devoting themselves to, they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, most likely, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. They stayed with, they honored Christ's command. To observe the Lord's Supper. Now, in a couple of verses, we're gonna see that they ate together and that they had fellowship in eating together. But most likely, this is saying they stayed with the command of Jesus Christ to remember his death through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And then it says, and they were continually devoted to, steadfastly devoted to prayer. To prayer. Listen, the church was committed to to praying together. And we see there from the very first day in the upper room, we're going to see as we travel all the way through the Acts, the church was committed to praying together. Now listen, not just token prayers, not scheduled prayers like the old Jewish system. The church met and they prayed together and they they assembled and they prayed together and they went to someone's house and they ate and they prayed together and they went out in the street and they grouped up and they prayed together. And when there was trouble, that was brewing they prayed together and when they were rejoicing over great things they prayed together over and over and over again the church was a praying church we have to be a praying church not just token, not, not just something we, we schedule but a people that come together and say oh Lord we come together we seek you in prayer And so they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Are those the things that make up an awesome church? Is that what it takes to have an awesome church? Is that what we're going to see? Is that the secret to having an awesome church? Stay with me. We're going to continue on. We'll see. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. One of my favorite sections in, in this set of verses, the apostles had the ability to do signs and wonders. They had the ability to heal, to perform powerful signs, and it was to confirm the gospel message. And when you read it, that's what was going on. They're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. They're preaching about a risen Savior, and to confirm the gospel, to confirm the truth of God's word, they have the ability to do signs and wonders to confirm God's word. It was always to confirm. Now, here's what I like. It says everyone kept feeling A sense of awe. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now, awe translates alarm, astonishment. It's not normal. In the context where this word is used in other verses, it is a reverence to to the divine presence. In other verses, when the presence of God showed up, it said that they were in awe. Well, that is this exact same word. It is a reverence to the divine presence. It was this great feeling that something's not normal here. It was this great feeling that something's going on here. It was the great feeling that there is a living God and he's active and he's powerful and we can sense it, we can feel it. And when you feel that, listen, you are in awe and there's reverence over the divine presence. When I said, what is necessary to have an awesome church that's what I was talking about. Literally an awesome church, a church that, that places you in awe, not a, not a good church, not even a great church, not a church that has all the things that you would like to have, but I'm talking about an awesome church, a church that when you're in the presence of that church, you know there is a God and there is a savior and we are his people and God is working in our midst and there is an awe in that church. just hit me. I was just thinking one Sunday, remember one Sunday I baptized 19 people at one time. Bonnie, you were one of them. Kelly, you were one of them. I remember the events of that week, 27 people got saved in a week, baptized 18 people in one service. I've never seen a more majestic thing that pointed to Jesus Christ. I remember walking out of that baptistry and I had tears running in my face, and I got on my knees and I praised God. Listen, that's the church I want to belong to a church where Jesus is working and there's an awe in the air, and we know we serve a risen Savior, not with good stuff, but an awesome church that points to an awesome Savior. Well, what does it take to see that? Verse 44 and 45 together. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Here's the deal in these verses. There was unity in the church. They were together in the church. Now, I want you to be sure of this. This is not talking about communism. This is not saying we need to go to communism. But what it is saying is they existed for the benefit of each other. They, they, they lived to help and to benefit and come to the, age of, to, to the aid of each other. Now, I want you to see this. If the church was doing what the church is supposed to be doing, and I'm not talking about can you pay my electric bill. It's not talking about that. If the church was doing what the church is supposed to be doing, if the church was together, if the church was unified, and the church knew each other, and the church knew the needs of each other, and the church, when they saw the need of somebody else, was quick to serve the need of that other person, I want to tell you, our sorry government would go out of business. All those bums in Congress, they could take their fancy stuff and go home. If the church was doing what it's supposed to be doing, the welfare system would have no takers, at least not from a follower of Jesus Christ. If the, if the church is doing what the church ought to be doing, we wouldn't be arguing about socialism. We wouldn't be talking about how it's attractive to our young people today because we'd be working like we're working for our Savior Jesus Christ. And if there was an issue, we'd take care of it and our widows would be taken care of and our orphans would be taken care of. And when we saw a need in our midst, we would take care of our own needs. It's not communism. Listen to verses 46 and 47. These may be my favorite. Here's what it looks like. Day by day, continuing. Listen to these these words. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice that. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Says they were one-minded. There was a unity of belief and there's a unity of purpose. Listen, that's the church. We have a unity of belief We have a unity of purpose. There is a Savior and it's Jesus Christ. And we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have a unity of belief. We also have a unity of purpose. We have a mission to tell a lost and dying world the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a unity of a belief. We have a unity of purpose. The verse says they're at the temple, they're at each other's houses, they're eating together. Now let me just put this in simple language. They liked each other. Man, they ate together. They liked each other. Says with gladness, whoo, listen to these words, and sincerity of heart. Here's this, this new Movement. Here these folks have been saved in a a radical transformation by faith in Jesus Christ and it says with gladness and sincerity of heart. Gladness means, and this this I love, rejoicing from the inside. That's what gladness is. It is rejoicing from the inside. It is happy, it is joyful, it, it is joy that springs up. It is rejoicing from the inside. Then it says, sincerity of heart. It literally translates singleness of heart. It means in their heart, they're not double-sided. These people were the real deal. They were the real thing. They weren't just pretending. My lands, they could get killed. This wasn't an act of hypocrisy. They were not faith. They had a sincerity of heart and they had a gladness, a rejoicing on the inside. while i'm offending people let me get a few more i'm tired of in fact i can't understand i'm tired of unhappy believers foul believers i can't understand professing believers being being foul and being mean And being nasty and being nasty to each other, having a look on their face, I I am sick and tired of unhappy believers. Let me just tell you, you know these folks, you see these folks when they're coming and when they come around the, the, the assembling of the church, they got an issue with this thing and they got an issue with that thing and they're gonna gripe about all these things and that person over there, they're gonna tell you about them and that teacher over there and that preacher up there and they got issues with all the things. Listen to me, it's not that life is not tough. It's not that there's not hard things. It's not that there's not bad things. But I want to tell you, a believer in Jesus Christ, deep inside that person, they know there is a Savior. They know that he's risen from the dead. They know that of no work of their own, they have peace with God. They know there is victory already. They know that he is coming again. And maybe it's tough in life. And maybe there may be tears that fall down. Maybe it's hard for them. But I want to tell you, you come. I'm open brother and sister and the joy of a living Lord will pour out of those people. I want to be around people like that. My old granny used to say she looks like she's been sucking on a persimmon. (laughs) Lady she used to run around with. While I'm at it. We have a Wednesday fellowship meal. Calvary Cafe. We have a Thursday men's lunch. Fellowship lunch. We have coffee and donuts. Biscuits. Fellowship on Sunday morning. Go over there. The tables are full of folks. We have funeral meals when people are grieving. We have socials. Churchwide socials sometimes. We have a snack supper on Monday night mission night. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound biblical? There's been some folks, and the whole 10 years I've been the pastor here, they say, you know what, we eat too much around here. We eat too much around here. They come to my office and some of them say, you know what, that's a gimmick, that's a gimmick. Yes, brother, it is a gimmick. They say, you know what, we can't do that. We can't afford that. But let me just tell you, praise God for those who cook and those who stir And those who chop. And those who carry out the trash and those who spend a half a day or more on Wednesday, those who spend a half a day or more on Thursday, those that go picked up our donuts this morning and brought them to the church, those that made the tea, those that make the coffee, praise God for the people that tithe to finance all of that. And you listen to me, may it all be marked with the joy of the Lord. We serve a risen Savior. We're to like each other. These are our people. May we do it with the joy to a risen Savior. You go home and tell them your fat preacher said donuts are biblical. <laughs> Verse 47 says, praising God. Woo! Praising God. What were they doing? These people are crazy. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God means that the fruit of their life was to exalt God. The language is, if you're down here, to lift God up here. It is to put God in his place. They are praising God. Having the favor with all people means that they are appealing in the sight of all the people. When the saved people see the church, they are in awe, but when the lost people see the church, they are attracted. Listen, that is a church. Woo, listen to me. That is a church. The saved people in the church, they're in awe of our Savior. The lost people outside of the church, they are attracted to such a church. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, Those who are being saved. I like the word saved. I think we've gotten a little bit too nervous to say saved. Listen, he was adding to people that were growing in stature, not what he says. They were growing better people to operate in a Greek-Roman world, not what it says. They were finding people with great purpose. They, they found a purpose in their life. That's not what it says. It says, and folks were getting saved. Listen, it's okay. Folks ought to get saved. They ought to find Jesus and get saved. And in this early church, they are getting saved. What does it take to have an awesome church? It's going to be a few minutes longer. Before we get done, I want to go back and look at one thing, and then I'm going to tell you the answer. Notice in verse 46, it says day by day. Day by day. What's that? Yesterday, today, tomorrow, the next day. Day by day. It says continuing. I want you to understand this. We need to change our mindset. The church is not a one-day event. It's not even a two-day event. That, that would be like you saying, what, well, I've decided to be a one-day husband. Maybe two days, I'll give you half a Wednesday night. It's like saying, what, well, I'm gonna be a son or I'm gonna be a daughter, but I'm gonna be a son for one day or I'm gonna be a son for two days. Listen, when you're a husband, you're a husband in all days. When you're a daughter, you're a daughter for all days. You are part of, you are joined to the church and you are, you are steadfast in it. You are committed to it and it is you. It is how you walk out your Christian walk. It's how you express your, your service to the Lord. You just can't turn it on and turn it off. You can't schedule it on days. You are in it and it is who you are. Day by day and continually you're the church. All right, all these words to get to the question. What does it take to have an awesome church? Is it a pastor? Is it programs? Is it the right people, the ones you like? Is it a bunch of things? We've got some things coming up. Is it opportunities? Is it the buildings? Is, is it the things in this verse being devoted to the teaching of the word of God? Surely that's it. The, is it being devoted to prayer? Is it, is it being devoted to fellowship? Is that, is that what it would take to have an awesome church? What is necessary for this church to be? And listen, I'm not talking to any other church. What is necessary for this church to be an awesome church? What would it take? Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, what would it take? It takes you doing those things. They were. It takes you doing those things. Let me ask you today what if your church witnessed like you? I'm not not talking about other folks, I'm talking about you look at yourself. What if this church witnessed like you? What if the folks we told about Jesus Christ was exactly the number of folks that you tell about Jesus Christ? What if the church attended like you? What if this church, what if, what if the attendance pattern here wasn't based on other folks, wasn't based on seasons of the year? What if the attendance here was like you? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday, Thursday, all the activities of the church. What if the attendance was like your attendance? What kind of church will we have? Oh, I'd like to have an awesome church. What if the church was friendly like you? What if the church was was friendly, and I'm not talking about this fake, and that's what it says here, but what if the church actually cared like you, wrote cards, visited folks? You know, the preacher doesn't have to do all that. What, what, if the, what if the church said, how are you doing? I heard about your surgery. I heard about your divorce. I heard about the hard thing. What if you said, hey, I'm glad you're here. What if you met them outside in the parking lot? We didn't have to have greeters. What if the church was friendly like you? What kind of church would we have? What if the church served as much as you served? Now don't look around, I'm talking about you. What if the church served as much as you serve? Well, you don't understand the stage of life I'm in. I'm not worried about that. What if the church served like you serve? Would anything happen in our church? What if the church tithed the way that you tithe? What if the church prayed like you prayed? Not not anymore, that is the standard. The prayers of the church are gonna be the mirror of your prayer life. What kind of church would we have? Here's the biggest one, and it drives all of those things. What if the church praised God, exalted God, like you do? Would we be a praising, exalting, God-honoring church? The secret to an awesome church is you. The secret to an awesome church is not these things. It's you doing these things. And you sit here and say, well, good grief. This, this is kind of rough. I want to tell you that here's the good news. Good news is it starts today. Good news is there's grace and there's forgiveness for the past. We get off track in the past. The good news is the potential is today. And I want to tell you the greatest movement of, of Christianity in North America could start at Calvary Baptist Church today. And the good news is, we say, what, I'm going to come and I'm going to pray with my my church family. And you know what, I'm going to serve this church family. And you know what, I'm going to tithe and participate and worship God in this church family. The good news is, all of the potential is ahead of us. And here's the other thing. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And I'll tell you this, and I said this when I got here, there's 14,000 people in Wilbarger County. I believe 12,000 of those folks are lost and this is no time for the church to miss what the church is supposed to do. The best things can still be ahead. Good news is it starts today. The good news is it starts not with somebody else, with me, with you. May Christ be exalted in his church. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your church. I praise you for your church. Thankful for the grace that you've shown me and shown us through your church. Thankful for a beacon, a guard of the, the truth of the doctrine of God's word. Thankful for a mouthpiece to herald the, the saving grace of Jesus, the gospel. I'm thankful for a people to care and to encourage and to walk with. Thankful for a bride that you'll come back for. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for your church. Lord, I pray as we hear this today that that surely we're all convicted, surely we're all trained and taught today, but I pray that today we would seek your forgiveness for the sins of the past, for the failings of the past, but we would pick our heads back up high and we would walk in your grace and we would walk in your empowerment and an astonishment over a risen Savior Jesus and that this church will be the church, Lord, that you've built us to be called us to be. Lord, I pray for someone in this room right now that doesn't know you. I pray first before they're joined to us that they'd be joined to you. That Today might be the day they put their faith in Jesus. Lord, move in their heart. And I pray in all of this that you're known, that you're glorified. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.